All right, everybody, welcome back to the Gopher Report podcast. It is your host with the most, John Williams, the publisher of the Gopher Report. I am here with uh, a man that just recently updated his MySpace page, Alex Carlson. How you doing, still, Alex? Uh, so, still hot in the streets on MySpace. <laughs> Come check me out. Come check out my top. <laughs> <laughs> Come check out my top playlist. <laughs> All right. Good to be back. Good to be back. Yeah, good to be back. Yeah. Just get out of that MySpace thing. We, we have a lot of funny conversations about MySpace, by the way. I don't know if people will get that when they listen to this, but. Uh, yeah, we have we have this uh, to give probably a little more context before we start. It's uh, you know, Sean's right at the me and, me and Sean. I'm right at the age where MySpace was was really hot and right before Facebook took over, and then um, Sean's at the age too where he where MySpace was all the rage back in his <laughs> days. So right. one of the uh, it's funny one of the common areas like like most people who might be a little bit younger, you know, everyone had their old their old MySpace days. It's just funny looking back at now. So we always joke about uh, joke about it. Yeah. Catch me, catch you some MySpace. I don't even know what I'm paying yep. now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what was it? I can't remember. Did we go by nicknames or did we use our regular names? I think we use our regular names. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, man. Those those days were those days were a wild era. It was, yeah, it was like wild era on the internet. <laughs> Anything went back in those days. Right. All right. Well, anyway, we're not here to talk about MySpace for this whole show. We're gonna actually talk about uh, gopher football, uh, which may cause some most people to drink uh, immediately, but uh, hey, we got to do what we got to do, right? If you haven't, if you haven't started drinking already. <laughs> just, go ahead and, uh, just go ahead and pour one out right now. Yeah. But uh, before we get started talking about football, we'll, I do want to ask you, uh, Alex, you were watching the NBA draft last night. Uh, obviously, um, you know, we're uh, kind of Minnesota fans or probably a lot of T-Wolves fans out there. So, uh, what did you think about the T Wolves draft picks, and uh, how you think they did overall? Give them a, give them an overall grade from the draft last night. I liked it for the most part. I think within the number one pick, I think Edwards or Ball were the two that made sense. I don't think Wiseman, from a fit perspective, really made sense for us. Um, and I was kind of back and forth mid two. Part of me kind of wanted Ball, just in the sense that when you have the number one overall pick, you got to try to hit a home run and try to get the best player. You know that that or you're going to be the person who's going to be the best player from that draft. Um, and, and part of me kind of thought that Lamelo Ball could be that, but I certainly was very happy with Edwards. Um, you know, his floor is probably a you know very solid NBA player, and his ceiling is you know potential All Star. I think so. Really happy with that. Our second pick was a little bit odd. We traded uh, we traded two draft picks for uh, a guy from Europe, um, Leandro Balmero, I believe, and he's only 20 years old. Plays on the Barcelona team, so which is probably the second best league outside of the NBA. Um, but he only shot like 19% from three last year <laughs> and he's a wing. He's got some savviness to him, a kind of crafty guard, but you know, we're trying to implement more of a shooting, you know, three point range, shooting style offense. And it's kind of funny. We picked a guy that, you know, shot 19% from three last year, but he was only 20. So obviously when I was 20, I was, you know, I was doing a lot worse things than playing professionally in Barcelona. So, um, so credit to him. And then the last pick, uh, Jade McDaniels, I actually did like him as well. He's more of a stretch four, um, a guy that can have some length and a lot of athleticism and high upside. And he shot like 34% from three last year as well. So really liked, uh, really liked him. And then like the Edwards pick as well. And then of course with the European, he won't even be here for another year, but you know, we'll see what happens with him. So I like it overall. I think I give it like a B plus overall. Yeah. Uh, always taking flyers on those European guys. You never know how they'll pan out, man. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of good ones in the NBA right now. So yeah, and the thing I do like about when you get a guy like that, too, is that, 
he's been he's kind of like a Rubio in the sense where he's been playing professionally for like you know three four years already since he was whatever 16 17 so he's been playing in probably the second best league in the world for a few years now so I do like that because I feel like it makes the transition a little bit easier you know whenever yeah. he does come over just having played against older people already and you know playing professionally for a couple of years yeah definitely I mean I, I you know I watched a lot of Edwards last year I watched a few Jaden McDaniels games so I really like both those guys as well I think those were really good picks for the team world so uh, really familiar with those games, with their games and everything. So, kind of, kind of. I don't guess I'm really surprised, but it's kind of, you know, just kind of cool to see Edwards get picked. You don't see a lot of Georgia guys get picked number one, you know, coming out of that program. So, right. And I, it was kind of, uh, and not to, you know, go on too long of a side note, but here, but uh, it was they actually had Tom Crean on one of the local radio stations here, the Georgia head coach. For those who don't know, Tom Crean. <laughs> and they and they asked him about they're like you know this this article came out about Edwards that he apparently doesn't love the game and like loves you know loves football more than basketball and Tom Crean was like well you know he basically said yeah I don't sit down and watch three or four hours of basketball and, and Tom Crean was kind of like well I don't think you'd find many people his age that really do that anymore you know I don't think there's a ton of young players who there are some obviously you know just people who just love basketball and watch it all the time but he's like I don't really think that a ton of young people in general just sit down and watch three to four hours straight of NBA games. Um, and so he kind of defended him from that perspective and said, like, there's nobody I had that, you know, you know, he kind of gave like, the, he was a really hard worker. Not, nobody did more, you know, after games, he'd go work out. And, and uh, if he didn't like the way he played, he would always be in the gym after games. So, so I think Tom Crean gave him a little bit of a, a stamp of approval in that sense that, uh, that kind of maybe should hopefully calm some worries about that article that came out that Edwards apparently, you know, yada, 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 doesn't love the game, et cetera. Well, I thought mean, that was interesting. There's plenty of NBA players that uh, probably aren't watching three hours of basketball and dating Instagram models, so, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like you said, just you don't have to watch, you know, every single minute of every single NBA game right. necessarily to be to be a, a great player. Um, but, yeah, so I, I was, it was interesting hearing Tom, Tom Crean hear that. Um, I think he was on KFAN. I'm not, I have to double-check on that, but I heard it was a really good interview. I'm looking forward to listening to it at some point, so yeah. go check it out if you're a T-Wolves fan and have interest in it. Of course, I know you said Tom Green. And for those who don't know, Georgia head coach, obviously former Indiana head coach too, as well. So, yep, yeah, yeah. Gopher fans should be somewhat familiar with him. <laughs> and Marquette head coach too. He's got a he's got a long track record. Marquette, yep. And Marquette coached Dwayne Wade. He did, yeah. Coached a couple of drafts, but I mean, you had Dwayne Wade there. I'm not sure if he was still around when Jimmy was there. Now I have to get my timelines right. And then, uh, yeah, obviously coached a couple NBA players, Victor Oladipo at. Indian as well. So he's, he's got a little track record now of getting some guys to the league. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So uh, there's your uh, NBA draft recap from Alex. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Tune in if, uh, if in three, four years, if all, you know, <laughs> none of those players pan out, then tweet at me and tell me how wrong I was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure you'll be uh, totally offended by that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Moving on to uh, uh, much more pressing matters. Uh, um, we're going to talk Minnesota football, which right now, like I said, uh, everybody should be on their second drink right now after we uh, talked a little NBA draft there. But uh, obviously, we got we didn't do a recap show yet, so we're going to throw a little bit of recap on here. Uh, not going to take too much time, but obviously a, a bad loss to uh, Iowa 35-7 last Friday. Um, Minnesota falls to 1-3 and three on the season. Iowa improves to 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Alex, I'll, I'll just ask you, man, positives and negatives coming out of this game. I know there's going to be a lot of negatives, so maybe uh, – let's just start there. Start with uh, the, the biggest – we don't have to go through all the negatives, but maybe the biggest 
negative or biggest couple of negatives you saw from this game? Yeah, um, I think everyone's probably in agreement with with the negative. Um, was just the, the the passing game as a whole. Um, I don't want to specifically say, oh, it's all on Tanner Morgan, because obviously, you know, everyone has to play a part in it. But I thought offensively in the past game, we just lacked any really flow or rhythm. It kind of seemed like our timing was always a bit off. Um, and, and one thing, even watching back the game a little bit too, Iowa – so Iowa, I thought, had a really good game plan. They basically played two men under the entire game, which is uh, you play man-to-man, all the corners play man-to-man, all the receivers, and you have two high safeties. They, play, they probably played that about 80% of snaps. Um, they would just hang on to any underneath routes, any of the slants or in routes that we love. They basically play anything short with all the corners, just sit on those in routes, and then they had two safeties over the top in case you tried to press them. The thing with that is, obviously, you have two safeties high, right? So you have a you know, what you think should be an advantageous matchup within the box, but it didn't feel like Minnesota was able to establish enough consistency in the run game to really force Iowa to have to bring down another safety and open things up on the back end. Um, and I thought we ran the ball okay, but like I said, if they're going to dare you and play two high safeties the entire game, you got to make them pay. Like you have to win the 5v5 in the box matchups or the 5v6, you know, or 6v6 matchups. You just have to win those if they're going to keep too high. And Minnesota couldn't really ever establish that. And then when it did come time to pass, you know, like I said, they just sat on a lot of those shorter in-breaking routes or slants with a lot of their corners and then played two high safeties and kind of just dared us to throw it. And we never really could make them pay. So um, that was unfortunate. You know, I really felt like we struggled there. And, and um, I, w- I wish I would have seen a little bit more maybe mid-game adjustments from our staff. Once you see the tendency that, hey, they're playing this exact same coverage, 80% of snaps, you'd, th- you'd hope that they, you know, whether it be some mesh concepts or some, um, some switch routes, do something like that that kind of makes corners have to adjust and make, you know, have to start to kind of question their man-to-man adjustments. Yeah. I think that I really would have liked to see something like that. And I just, we just never really did from the Gophers coaching staff, which is unfortunate. So that was my big takeaway offensively. Defensively, honestly, you know, some people might think I'm crazy. Was not as disappointed as, as you think. I actually think the defense was, was kind of a slight positive. Um, now, granted, it didn't have a ton to beat out, right? Like we saw the first two weeks and it was, it was bad, you know? So, you know, they only gave up 346 total yards um, compared to 478 in week one and 675 in week two. Um, their penalties are, their penalties went from seven in week one, 10, 12 in week, in week three, um, only two penalties last week defensively. So, you know, there, there was some signs and they even got a takeaway. They got it. They got an interception that, that turned the ball over and, and, and got, well, what should have been uh, a possession in the red zone, but of course, a personal foul penalty and then a unsportsmanlike conduct uh, <laughs> removed said, said field advantage. But honestly, I actually thought the defense played okay. Um, I mean, we were only down 14-0. Or the Gophers went down 14-0 heading into the fourth quarter. And right. if the offense wasn't playing as atrocious as it had been, there's a chance it could have been a 14-14 game and, and at least could have been close and, you know, kind of who knows what happens, right? But you lose Mariano – you know, the offense is really struggling, put you in tough spots. And then all of a sudden, you know, eventually you're just going to give up points. And that's what they did. Obviously in the fourth quarter, they scored 21 points. And, and a lot of those were, you know, kind of put in tough spots. So honestly, defensively, I was, I, I, I think they are improving. You know, it might be, it might, people might hate hearing me say that because obviously the product doesn't look phenomenal on the field just yet, but I do feel like they are steadily improving and getting a little bit better and better each week, which is, which is exciting to see, um, but still a long way to go, of course, to be, you know, a real complete defense and, and, um, you know, kind of turn this thing around. So, um, yeah, those are, those are one of the positives and then the negatives I, I took away from the game. 
Yeah. Uh, you mentioned penalties. I'm going to maybe harp on that a little bit. I mean, I think that was kind of a um, <clears throat> a big issue that Minnesota hasn't really had a lot of penalties throughout the year, but it kind of crept up on them against Iowa. They had eight penalties for 85 yards. That really kind of so – a lot of those penalties really kind of negated uh, some of those long drives uh, offensively that they had, you know, turning third and shorts and the third and longs and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, offsides and things like that. So I think penalties really kind of helped – Minnesota stall on a lot of drives too um so that's kind of a negative I've got I mean yeah I, I almost really you know I know you said you sound crazy but defensively wasn't bad it's like you said it was 14 nothing going into the fourth quarter so I mean that that's not bad but uh you mentioned erratic uh erratic offensive execution I mean you know we you didn't harp on Tanner too much but he did there was a lot of balls he overthrew underthrew um just looked very uncomfortable back there, uh, passing the ball. So that was kind of a, uh, it's kind of a, uh, a negative I had there, just in terms of, uh, you know, not having a, uh, a consistent offensive game. Uh, running was okay, but it just seems like, like we said, and you've mentioned it before, you know, kind of seems like Connor is kind of a one read guy. He's looking for Bateman a little bit too much, uh, and then you know when he does throw it to other people, it's, it's, it's off, you know, or at least it seemed like it in the Iowa game. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think he, he does tend to favor Bateman. And of course, who wouldn't, right? He's going to be a potential first round draft pick, but you know, in order to get the, the, the most out of the offense, you know, you have to spread the ball around. Right. Yeah. And, um, and of course other teams are going to be keen on Bateman. I mean, he's a really good player and everyone knows that. And of course they're going to be looking to, to double team him and going to be looking to, you know, make ways to find his life difficult. So I think that Tanner, you know, he, he had such a great year last year. And, and I think, you know, there was a lot of hype on him and, and, you know, potential NFL draft, this and that, even he was even in some early Heisman odds, things like that. And, you know, I think with Tanner, his, his biggest improvement area is just getting to his second and third reads. I think that, and we saw it on with the, the pick, um, the second pick on the, on the post corner, we tried running the post corner and, and I think Tanner stared him down for about eight seconds straight. And, you know, sure. It's a longer developing route. I get that. But at the same time, you know, he, he sat there for eight seconds, just waited, waited, waited. And then all of a sudden he, he forced it. And of course it gets picked off and they return it for whatever 40 yards. And there goes the, you know, and there goes a drive. And I think that's just an opportunity for him where he has to get a lot better is knowing, Hey, you know, this is where I'm going to go first. If that's not there, this is where I'm going to look second. And then where's my dump off? Where's, you know, where's Mo or where's Trey Potts or where's my, you know, my check down on the outside. And I think that there's a lot of progression that Tanner can, can improve upon in just going through his reads, you know, being a little more comfortable with himself in the pocket. Um, and ultimately just, just finding who's the right guy for this play not necessarily where do I want to go with the ball? Okay. Now either it's not there, pull it, or it's not there, force it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, with, with hopefully with time and with reps as he gets older, you know, he'll, he'll be able to improve upon that. And, um, you know, hopefully, like I said, there's a little bit of turnaround here the last couple of weeks of the year. I think, I think it was kind of interesting in the uh, in, uh, Mike Sanford's uh, press conference this week. You know, uh, I think Andy Greeter asked him about, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Morgan maybe not tucking some of those RPOs or zone reads or whatever and, and maybe rushing for some yards and and Sanford kind of made fun of his uh you know Morgan's elite speed he's not known for his uh four four speed or whatever but here's the thing though Morgan's a pretty big dude and he's pretty you know he's pretty uh 
nimble of feet whenever he wants to run. He does have he can run a little bit. Like he does yeah. actually have like I wouldn't class him as a runner, but he actually right. you know, he does have he does have some giddy up to him. I mean yeah. he's capable of running. I think I think in certain situations where it's like third and short, I mean I think he's very much more than capable of picking up, you know, uh three or four yards on a third and two, you know, or something like that. You know, I mean yeah. so. Uh, but I just thought it was funny that they were, you know, he was asked about Morgan, uh, Morgan possibly running, but it didn't seem like uh, Sanford really wanted him to do that that much. So, um, no, I don't think Sanford or Fleck are yeah. really fan, are yeah. really fans of, of running Morgan, um, right. really at all. I mean, they, they, I think they only ran him maybe a handful of times last year. One of them was on fourth down at last year at Fresno. It was a fourth down call, and of course they sold out for the run. He tucked it and was untouched, you know, and for whatever a couple yard touchdowns. But I think they pick and choose, but it's pretty rare whenever they do actually yeah. let him do it. Uh, another positive I had uh, was Michael Dixon. Uh, he was actually saw yeah. Pro Football Focus. He was the uh, he was the highest graded uh, secondary player. Obviously, he only had 19 snaps, so obviously, uh, you know, kind of take that with a grain of salt. But I mean, he did look really good in in uh, especially in that open field tackle he made on the on the on the edge there. So uh, I had him down as a positive. What, what did you kind of see from Dixon in your eyes? Yeah, really, really liked what I saw to him. I, I agree. I think that's that was a huge positive and something to take away from it. Um, you know, in losses, you're always trying to see what, what, what can you pull to be positive about. And I, I think he showed well. Uh, he's a bigger guy, you know, 6'2". He's probably well over 205, 210 pounds already as a true freshman. Um, yeah, he had that nice play on the edge, like you said, where he uh, – I think it was the tight end tried to get out to him. He, he uh, fought off the block and then made the tackle in the open field on the quarterback to stop him short of the end zone. He actually had a couple nice tackles um, coming down in the alley as well. He hit the running back on a sweep, I think, for a one-yard gain. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a couple of nice plays as well. Yeah, I really liked what I saw to him. I think that his physicality and just his natural size, you know, being already 6'2 and 210, 215 pounds, um, I feel like his size and physicality showed already, which is exciting for, you know, your fourth career game uh, in Division yeah. One. So, yeah, really liked what I saw to him. And, and like I said, I mean, it's not exactly like the, the Gophers' safeties have been amazing this year. So, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised if we saw a lot more of him, you know, these last three, four games here. Yeah, I think he's definitely earned himself some uh, some more playing time. That's for sure. Um, I'll I'll just get to it, man. Let's talk about that third and six call late in the third quarter, man. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I, Fleck was asked about it after the game, and he, you know, obviously he he took all the blame for for that play call or whatever. But you know, third and six there, uh, you know, in in the Iowa's territory, they. Uh, they run Ibrahim, but instead of running him up the middle, they kind of go with the edge, run him around the edge. He loses a yard. So, you know, you're, uh, you're fourth and seven. They decide to go for a field goal. It was blocked. And uh, then, you know, the next play, I think Tyler Goodson takes it for 45 yards, and you pretty much that kind of sealed the game. Uh, he didn't run it, take it in for a touchdown, but I think Iowa scored two plays later in the fourth quarter there early. So, um, did you – what did you think about that third down call? Should they have went for it on, you know, in that situation, know that they're going to, you know, uh, maybe go for it on fourth down? I think, I think that's what Fleck wanted to do if they picked up two or three yards. But why did they, why did they run, on, run Abraham on the outside? If you want to pick up two or three yards and then go for it on fourth down, uh, just run it up the middle is my approach. But I don't know. What do you think, Alex? You know, it's – I agree. And I think after hearing his explanation that, hey, we're we're planning for it to be a two-down, you know, a two-down uh, to-go situation where, you know, we were going to go for it on fourth down and try to pick it up then, it made – the call made more sense to me after hearing that. 
you know, it, it's funny because Minnesota had a lot of success last year doing this type of thing. Like it would be third and six. It happened against Auburn, I think probably at least three or four times where it was third and six, third and eight, third and 10. And Minnesota would just run like this outside zone and they would, you know, go for like a 15 yard gain. And they had a lot of success last year doing it. And, I, and, and I've seen it quite a bit from the staff. So I don't, I, I, I think I get what they were trying to do, but and obviously hindsight's 2020. So of course you look back at it, you're like, well, that was a terrible call. Um, yeah because it didn't work out right and but they have had a lot of success doing that in the past so I, I see what they were trying to do now obviously going back to your point I think if your goal is to get three yards you know running a sweep running a running a sweep is kind of more like a, a you know break or bust type of thing where either you get 10 or you get zero yeah. you know whenever you run whenever you run east to west sideline to sideline that's basically how it is it's either usually a big gain if they don't set the edge and there's no gap integrity or it's like, or it gets snuffed out for zero yards right they just run you down the line yeah. um and i think that i i i, I agree that i don't hate the ball i don't hate the running the ball like, i don't think that was a bad call but i i do agree with you where hey if the goal was to get three four yards here then, you know, maybe an outside sweep isn't necessarily the way to do that. You know, you could right. easily run, like you said, you could either run inside zone, you could either run a counter, you could, you know, even like you said, maybe maybe do one of those read options with, with Tanner Morgan, and maybe that's your way of getting three to four yards. And, and if you feel like that's going to be you know, all you need. So um, I don't hate the idea to run because I've seen them have a lot of success doing that in the past, but obviously the run play specifically they called, Grant didn't work out, was maybe just not the right call for that situation. Right. I, I agree. I don't have a problem with going, and, you know, I guess I'm, I guess I kind of lean toward being a more aggressive guy, especially when you're down 14, nothing, you're putting a drive. Right. A hundred percent. You're in their territory. It's you're entering the fourth quarter almost. And, you know, if you want to be aggressive, uh, I'm cool with running it, just run it up the middle, try to get two or three yards, make it a manageable fourth down where it's fourth and, you know, two or three. And, you know, then you have a lot of options there in, in terms of what you can what you can call, you know. I mean, I think to kind of lose a yard and then not go for it on fourth down, I realize it's fourth and long, but still, I think you have to go for it there and just kind of yeah. seem that you really want to score a touchdown and you're really trying to get back in this game and try to win it. I think if you, you're selling for a field goal there and field goals have been shaky for the Gophers so far this year. Right. I don't think you're – you know, when you trot the field goal unit out there for, for a field goal after you're – after you put together a drive like that, I think you're kind of, you know, I don't want to kind of waving the white flag a little bit. Waving, I was going to say that wave the white flag, but yeah, I mean, you haven't had a lot of success in, in field goes and obviously Iowa blocked it. So, you know, uh, that didn't really turn out too well for them, but I just would have liked to have seen Minnesota to be a lot more aggressive in that situation, even though, even if they lost, you know, even losing that yard, even if it's fourth and six, fourth and seven, still go for it, you know, act like you want yeah. to. Score a touchdown. I, I I completely agree with you there. At least I mean you're down fourteen zero. You know, like and and of course the coach might say otherwise. But did did anyone have any real confidence when we trotted out the field goal unit that that was like that was a no brainer make or that was going to be a make? No, I don't. I don't think I I personally can say I didn't. I didn't necessarily think this was one hundred percent going to be a, you know three points. And right. of course the you know the coach might the coach is probably probably going to back up his guy and say yep you know we thought we were going to get three there but. You know, like you said, you're down 14-0, man. Like, you're one and two on the year. You don't have a lot of opportunities and time to just be yeah. not going for it on fourth down, especially when you're in their territory and just and, – and, and, and going for, like you said, the, the, the you know, passive approach. I mean, at some point, you got to start being aggressive. you got to start taking chances. I mean, worst thing, yeah, worst thing that happens is, like you said, you kick the field goal. Best thing that happens, you kick the field goal and make it, you get three points. Worst thing that happens, you miss it and your ball's right there. If you go for it, worst thing that happens is, well – the ball is still right there. I mean, barring obviously any like, you know, egregious turnover, but 
Obviously, if it goes well and you get the and you and you advance on the field, you get a drive. Then you start getting a little bit of momentum. You guys start believing a little bit more and settling down. And all of a sudden, you know, you see what happens. I mean, I, I do agree. I think that was that those two plays were huge and and really kind of set the tone for the night. I think. Yeah, I mean, especially when you think of what happened after that. You know, like I said, Tyler Goodson rips off a forty-five yard touchdown, and I think they scored. Right. You know, two plays later to to open the fourth quarter. So then then you're down twenty-one nothing. So. Yeah, I mean, I think every every team, you know, any any person who's played in a game like that knows that just the deflatement feeling that something like that right. happens, right? You have a drive, you're finally starting to make a little bit. All of a sudden, it's third down, or you know, you get lose the yards, fourth down, and the team decides to bring out the field goal kicker, and you're kind of like, all right, well, let's see what happens. And, and once he misses it, it just deflates. And, you know, the team just gets deflated, and then you got a bunch of young guys on defense. They rip off a 40 yard run, and all of a sudden now it's a 21 point game, and it's you know, you had an opportunity right there to make it a one score game. I would almost yeah, it's just think, disappointing. I would almost think a lot of a lot of players probably was a little deflated when the field goal unit just trotted out there. You know. <laughs> yeah, for oh, for sure, for sure. They, I mean, they don't like it's either you're one and two on the year. They don't. It, it's it's you know we're we're done playing for playing for for field goals here. I mean, you're trying to win games, and when you're down fourteen zero, you you got to start putting points on the board. You got to get touchdowns. You can't just be, you know, you can't just be trying to trying to get field goals. Yeah. Agree. So that's, uh, I think we pretty much hit everything, unless you want to, anything else you want to add to uh, the positives and negatives uh, from the Iowa game? No, I, I got the <laughs> points out that I wanted to. Uh, like I said, defensively, I actually saw a little bit of, a little bit of signs improvement, which was fun to see offensively, just kind of a, a, a atrocious game to watch. So, um, and, and I think typically flex teams do improve throughout the course of the year. So it would not surprise me if by the end of the year they got to be playing decent football. At you know, at this point, we're just not doing it on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think we fit like we pretty much talked about every positive and negative I had written down. So I think we're I think we're done beating a dead horse. Let's. See. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Obviously, uh, Minnesota's got another Friday night showdown uh, against Purdue. Uh, this will be at Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota's had a lot of success against Purdue, you know, lately. So, um, but the Bullermakers are, you know, they're three and one. They're just coming off a a tough, close loss to Northwestern. Uh, that was a nice battle. I, I watched that in in person. Northwestern's got uh, not or not in person on TV, but uh, you know, thanks Big Ten. But <laughs> <laughs> thanks Kevin Warren. <laughs> thanks Kevin Warren. But uh, yeah, Northwestern's got a really good uh, really good defense. I mean, they're they're kind of senior laden defense, so they kind of shut Purdue down in terms of uh, running the ball, passing the ball uh, as well. It was a little shaky for the Boilermakers, but uh, you know, Purdue's three and one on the season. Uh, kind of makes you think Northwestern's uh, that much improved. I mean, Northwestern's right now four and zero, and and you know, on top of the West. So, um, but what do you? Um, Talking about the Boilermakers, I will mention a couple of key things here. Uh, Aiden O'Connell, their starting quarterbacks, kind of a game time decision that kind of came out uh, yesterday, I believe. Uh, Tom Deanhart at uh, GoldenBlack.com, our Purdue site, uh, has been kind of all over. He's he's uh, he's a guy to follow if you want to follow Purdue stuff. Um, but he said uh, that kind of came out yesterday that he's a game time decision. Uh, there's still a lot of. Uh, George Kalafas, their uh, defensive end, their star defensive end, obviously had a phenomenal freshman season last year. Um, he wasn't playing in the Northwestern game. Uh, I think he, uh, I think he was dressed. He was warmed up, warming up, but just didn't go. I think it's an ankle injury, uh, so kind of questionable whether he'll play. Uh, pop, I think it's probably more of a possibility he'll play against Minnesota. 
uh, Jenny, obviously after sitting out last week, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. And obviously Rondell Moore has not played so far this year. A lot of mystery, a lot of, uh, a lot of mystery. A lot of rumors. Yeah. A lot of rumors, a lot of innuendo around uh, Rondell Moore's status. Um, if you if you look at our uh, at Tom, you know, just following him and their site over there at GoldenBlack.com, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the hamstring injury. It seems like he's it seems like Moore's practicing, uh, and there's a lot of rumors that he's close to coming back. I think uh, I think they thought he would come back last week against Northwestern. Maybe he comes back against Minnesota. Maybe not. We don't really know, but uh, it's a very po- very good possibility. Rondell Moore could trot out there. Uh, you know, at uh, TCF Bank Stadium on Friday night. So, I mean, that's a, that's always a possibility and something to look forward to uh, when it comes to Purdue. So, I mean, obviously, if he trots out there, the game plan's a, little, a whole lot different for Purdue's offense and probably a whole lot different for Minnesota's defense, too. So, um, so Alex, I will uh, just start with you on keys to the game. What do you what do you kind of see in the keys to the game for Minnesota to, to try to win this game against Purdue? My uh, offensive key to the game is going to be uh, lean on Mo Ibrahim. Purdue's defense is not great by any means. Uh, they give up over 400 yards per game, uh, over 150 on the ground. Um, offensively, like I said, we, you know, we kind of beat the horse already, but we just lacked a little bit of flow, lacked some rhythm. You know, Mo Ibrahim's a phenomenal back. It just, it just lean on the running game. It's kind of funny because last week I said, don't be afraid to air it out. Don't be afraid to air it out. Um, and we saw you know, that didn't really work too well. So I'm going back to the running game this time. Um, establish the run with Mo Ibrahim. Let him, let him eat and, and uh, keep yourself out of harm's way from that perspective. And like I said, Purdue's defense is not, not great by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, defensively, my, my key will be limit big plays in the passing game. Boilermakers average over 300 yards passing per game with Aiden O'Connell, um, completing about 65% of his passes with a 7-2 to two touchdown to interception ratio. Um, he's had a phenomenal game. Benjamin St. Juice, his status is still up with the air um, because 2020. So, you know, I, I, it's, it's going to come down to – sorry, what did you say? COVID. <laughs> yeah, cough, cough. Uh, if he's COVID positive and he's if – we, if we tested positive and he's probably not playing that then he's out for three weeks, right, as of current rules. So right. we can, we'll can we assume that he is not going to be playing for the Gophers. So for this week, I should say, this week. So long story short, um, you know, like the, Purdue, loves a, or Purdue loves to pass the ball. I mean, I think they only rush for about 63 yards a game on the ground on the whole year. So they don't run the ball. They throw 40-plus times a game. They're going to try to make plays in the passing game, and they have David Bell, who's a phenomenal receiver. And, and like I said, there's innuendos that even you know, All-American Rondale Moore could be back as well. So – uh, the Gophers certainly have their have their work cut out for them this week. From a matchup perspective, just playing a team that doesn't ground and pound it might bode better for the Gophers' defense. But I don't know if we have the the horses on the back end to keep up with Rondell Moore and David Bell. But they have to try to find a way to limit some big plays and, and try to keep Purdue's uh, passing attack in check. Um, so that's my offensive and defensive keys to the game. All right, good stuff. Uh, my offensive is kind of kind of. Uh... You know, kind of something we've touched on, uh, beating a dead horse again <laughs> with the Iowa game earlier. Uh, just Morgan needs to be better. The whole passing game just needs to be better, more crisp, more accurate. Um, you know, obviously, I, I, th- I agree with you. I think Minnesota, obviously, is they, they want to be balanced. They want to control the clock. They want to win time of possession. So, you know, expect Mo Abraham to, to get his yards, get his touches. Uh, but you know when it when it does come time to pass and, and make those key passes, I think Morgan has to be a lot better. 
uh, you know, more accurate. Uh, and, you know, I like to see him spread the ball around. I think that's what we all kind of, you know, we saw Chris Altman Bell had that good game against Maryland. Uh, we'd like to see other, you know, him, you know, get Chris Altman Bell a little bit more involved. Daniel Jackson as well, maybe some, throw some tight ends in there uh, and get those guys involved in the, in the pass catching aspect of the game. So that's kind of, that's my key from uh, Minnesota, just in terms of uh, getting the passing game going and, and being more accurate in that department. I think that'll definitely help out uh, against Purdue. Um, you mentioned Purdue's offense. So you, you said, that obviously, they like to throw the ball a lot. Um, but mine's going to be kind of, uh, for defense, it's going to be stopping the run. I know Purdue doesn't run the ball, like you said, but, uh, you know, Xander Horvath. You know, he's a former walk-on. I think he's earned a scholarship. He's kind of Mike Allstott-like in, in just his build. He's a big running back, um, you know, can really pound the ball. He, he's he's pretty good at uh, catching the ball out of the backfield, too. But, I, you know, Minnesota struggled stopping the run. So, I know Purdue hasn't run the ball, but they're playing Minnesota, and that means they can probably run the ball at will if they really want to. And uh, so, I think that's just something they need to – Minnesota's defense really needs to key in on and make Purdue a one-dimensional team. Uh, they kind of already are, but if you can make them even a more one-dimensional team, I think that'll help out too. I know, I know their biggest weapons are wide receivers and everything like that, but when you can make a team one-dimensional, I think that really does help out your uh, your defense and uh, your overall chances to win. So uh, you know, I, I could see this being a game where you know Purdue's like, hey, we're playing Minnesota; they're not very good against the run. So let's uh, let's kind of key in on that a little bit and have a different type of game plan. So. Uh, that'll be key for uh, Minnesota's defense. Your thoughts on that, Alex? Yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they if they tried to lead it on more of a, a ground and pound type game, just given Minnesota's history this year so far against the run. And, and not to mention, you know, it's going to be 33 degrees and, and cold. Right. So it, it doesn't exactly bode well for a team that likes to throw the ball all around the field. Um, so, yeah, certainly wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if they tried to at least get a little bit more balance in the running game this week and, and try to pound a little bit more, just give them, like I said, you know, yeah. Minnesota's, Minnesota's run defense on the year. A little bit more about Purdue. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned Xander Horvath, who's kind of pretty much been their league running back just because of injuries. But King DeRue, I think he came back for Purdue uh, last week. He only had one carry. He's been injured, but he did make an appearance and made one carry last week. So I don't know if we're going to see more from him. So, you know, uh, Purdue might have a little bit more of a one-two punch at running back possibly this week against Minnesota. Also, another note mentioned earlier that Aiden O'Connell could be a game-time decision. Obviously, Purdue's starting quarterback. Uh, their backup will actually be Jake Plummer, uh, who's pretty experienced. He's not great. Who has started in the past. Yeah, yeah, he started six games last year. So, I mean, he's pretty experienced. So, it's kind of something to keep an eye on uh, in that direction. So, uh, moving on, we'll go uh, – we talked about – we gave our couple of keys to the game on offense and defense. We'll move on to our key players on offense and defense. Uh, and I'll, I'll just go first, Alex, because, you know, I'm just running the ship here. So – because I don't, I don't want you to steal my guys. Yeah, it's your world. We're, we're, it's your show. We're just, we're just living in it, Sean. <laughs> no, it's our show, man, okay? It's our show. All I appreciate right. that. <laughs> I mentioned this earlier, actually, just a while ago. Uh, on offense, uh, key player for me for Minnesota, uh, Chris Altman Bell. Take the pressure off of Bateman. I think, you know, Bateman's always going to make a play. You know, we talk about it. He's, he's one of the best players, if not the best player in the Big Ten. So we expect him to make plays, get his yards, get his touches. But once again, we'd like to see Chris Altman Bell pop up and have a big game like he did against Maryland. I think that would definitely help Minnesota's offense. 
uh, and uh, definitely scoring points, uh, gaining yardage, doing what they need to do to win. On defense, uh, you know, you kind of brought it up. Purdue likes to pass the ball a lot. So I think uh, for defense, I'm going to go with Coney Doerr. I think he'll, uh, I think he'll have a big game, maybe, maybe hold on the interception or two. We'll see. So that's my uh, two key players for Minnesota. Alex, on to you. My key player will be uh, Tanner Morgan. Um, last week only completed – he completed less than 50% of his passes a week, uh, a week ago against Iowa. You know, we mentioned it, got to play better, got to get to a second read. Um, just looked – you know, accuracy and timing and, and field just looked a little bit off. So looking for him to have a bounce back week. Um, my key player defensively is going to be Justice Harris. Um, David Bell is the best receiver on their team, averages over 10 catches, 100 yards per game. Uh, has four touchdowns already in three games so far. Uh, Justice Harris is primarily our nickel and slot corner. And then with the potential return of Rondell Moore, one of those two is going to get matched up, or Justice Harris is going to match up on one of those two, essentially every single snap. Harris is a guy who has played okay this year. You know, he, he, he lacks a little bit of foot speed, but he, you know, he's going he's gonna to have to be up for the challenge this week, playing two really good receivers um, for Purdue. So he's going to be my, my key on the defensive end. If he can have a good night and at least make life a little bit more difficult for them, you know, that's, that's going to help all the more in, in Minnesota trying to get a, a victory here. Yeah, I think uh, before I get to mine, I think a good thing to kind of point out from last week's game watching Purdue and Northwestern, O'Connell really focused in on David Bell a whole lot. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think that's kind of something for Minnesota's defense to kind of, you know, I'm sure that's what they saw in film. You know, you kind of, you know we kind of talk about Manor, or uh, Morgan keying in on Bateman a lot. Uh, O'Connell keys in on David Bell a lot. So maybe that's something Minnesota's defense can take advantage of. If, you know, like I said, Rondell Moore doesn't trot out there and he's he's good to go, then your game plan kind of changes there from a defensive standpoint. So Right. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm even just looking at it here. David Bell has three times the catches of the next receiver <laughs> on the team, three times the yards of the next receivers on the team, and he has four touchdowns and the closest other – receiver is has one and he has and that guy has one catch on the year for 40 yards and a touchdown so it's it's pretty safe to say that david bell is this the focal point of their offense from a receiver perspective i can't remember what the stats were i, mean, I think bell last week had seven catches for like 78 yards but i think he was targeted like five, maybe 14 15 16 times i don't know but it was it was a lot so uh you know in terms of passing the ball to him and trying to get the ball to him so uh, minnesota typically is a team who who does not, you know, who does not match up receivers wise. They typically don't shadow, you know, our best corner and your best receiver. They typically just play straight up. So they, we do have field and boundary corners, but we don't typically, like I said, just match up like, oh, Coney, you got David Bell this week or anything like right. that. And some teams might do that. Um, but yeah, Minnesota typically doesn't. So, you know, they're probably going to move Bell around. I think they like to work him from the slot mostly. And again, if, you know, if that means Justice Harris is going to have to be ready for the challenge. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we've went over our key players, and now it's time for a bold prediction. Alex, I will start with you on this one. What is your bold prediction for this game? My bold prediction is James Gordon has an interception for the second straight game. Purdue throws the ball over 45 times a game, may potentially be missing their starting quarterback, which uh, could help or hurt, I guess, this bold prediction, depending how you look at it. But um, just with that many opportunities, especially, you know, working over the middle and, and with, with David Bell, um, I think there should be some opportunities if he can, if he can play the lanes right and, and make a quick break on one to get another one. So I'm going to go James Gordon, second straight week with an interception. Okay. I'm, I'm of the similar accord here. I've got 
Uh, going back to Coney Door, I've got uh, Coney with two interceptions this week. Uh, like we said, it just kind of goes back to Purdue likes to sling the ball. And, uh, you know, uh, like I said, going back to last week's game, uh, targeting David Bell probably a little too much and, and being a little bit too one-dimensional in the passing game. So uh, just a mixture of that. I think uh, I think the defense has a lot, has a lot of uh, opportunities to uh, to get some interceptions, get some turnovers in this game. So I'm going Coney Door picks off two passes. So there you go. No, no response from Alex, so I'm, I'm going to move on. I would love to see it. I, I think Coney, we've kind of been sitting, we've kind of been sitting waiting for Coney to get his, uh, to get, to, to get one right, to break out and get one. And I, I even said before the year, I thought he could be an all big 10 candidate and he hasn't played poorly this year by any means. So, right, so we're not right. saying that, but um, you know, I think this is a good game where he should have a lot of opportunities and I think he could, you know, definitely could snag one or two. Yeah, I mean, you think about his year last year. I mean, obviously, you're playing a different schedule. You're playing less games. But, I mean, what do you have, like 10 pass breakups that led the team last year? So Yeah, 10-plus uh, pass breakups. I think he got a couple of picks last year. So, he's, he, if, you know, he, he's a really good cornerback. And he, he if, if, if they do give him a couple of chances, I think he can get one for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right, so moving on from bow predictions, we're going to go with score predictions. Alex, you lead off here. What's your score prediction for Friday night? I am going to go Purdue 31, Gophers 23. Um, per the reasons we've covered earlier, I think Purdue has a lot of uh, – if, if Aiden O'Connell does play, you know, we'll, we'll put that uh, asterisk out there, if you will, disclaimer that if they're starting QB, he does play. But assuming he does, um, they got a lot of horses on the outside. Even if Rondé Moore can't go, I still think they're going to – I still think they're going to exploit some weaknesses the Gophers have yet. Um, I think they're going to score some points. You know, not a ton. I mean, like I said, I think the Gophers defense is improving a little bit. But I'll go 31 points for Purdue. And then Gophers, you know, we're coming off such a, a tough week offensively last week. Lacked a lot of flow and rhythm. And Purdue's defense is, again, okay. Not great by any means. But um, it's tough to – it's tough just even watching the game last week to, to put your prediction behind it and say, hey, I think we're really going to turn it around and, and feel good about it. So, um, unfortunately, I'm picking Purdue 31, Gophers 23. <laughs> You say, unfortunately, you're supposed to be biased, you know. I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just try to, uh, yeah, you know, try, try, try to see both sides of the aisle, if you just will. just want to throw a reminder out there on this podcast. You're supposed to be a little unbiased on your picks there. So. <laughs> don't give me your, Trying to see both sides of the aisle. Don't give me your emotional baggage on here, okay? Well, yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> just letting, it, letting it out on, on air. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, so me myself, I am very unbiased when it comes to these picks. So I am, uh, I'm going to be in the same realm as you. I'm going to go P- Purdue 38, Minnesota 28. Um, I think Minnesota will score, like you said. Purdue's defense is good; it's not great. So I think Minnesota can uh, kind of come back and and be a little bit better in the passing game this week. And and Abraham does his thing like he he's he's normally done uh, the whole season. Um, but, yeah, I think there's going to be, uh, you know, Minnesota's, you know, I, you just can't trust that defense. I mean, I know, you know, and, and you brought up good points against Iowa. I think they got better. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, took a, took a little bit of a step forward against Illinois. But, you know, you talk about asterisks. I mean, Illinois had a lot of asterisks, you know, missed a lot of key players on offense. Right. In that game, you know, due to COVID, due mm. to injuries, and not exactly an offensive powerhouse to be right. Right so. when you're when you're playing when you're playing their four string quarterback and and they have no passing game, so <laughs> right. Uh, 
but yeah, I, I think you know, I, and I think Minnesota, or, uh, you know, Purdue has a lot of weapons. David Bell um, and Milton Wright's a good wide receiver too. I mean, I think he's somebody to kind of keep an eye on. He may be the second leading receiver, but I think you know, um, the running defense is always kind of comes back to me. I think I think Purdue will be able to run in this game. I think they'll be able to make some plays in the passing game like they normally do. I mean, they throw the ball enough that uh, that they will. Uh, you know, and if they limit their turnovers, I mean, I think it'll be a, a pretty pretty easy win for Purdue. I mean, I think Minnesota score points and make it pretty interesting. And but I I, I see this being a thirty-eight twenty-eight Purdue win for me. So. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So with that being said, we're gonna go around and, and just go real quick uh, around the Big Ten, which I have to scratch off the game since the Maryland Michigan State game got canceled today. So let me do that real quick. <laughs> yeah it's it's that type of year i know man. hey and what happens whenever a game gets canceled in the big 10 alex as i said for whenever there's less football we all lose so uh, we are all losers that is correct <laughs> um i don't know i can't i didn't write down the overall records on our uh our big 10 yearly picks uh so far i do know i'm in the lead uh I just can't remember by how much. And I, I think you're – you may be last, Alex. I can't remember, though. So. You know, it's uh, – I, pick, I picked Michigan last week, trying to, trying, to, uh, trying to grapple and get back into the thick of things, pulled one off an upset. That one was over within about five minutes of kickoff. So, <laughs> you know, not great. But, hey, there's, there's still a lot of football left to be played. I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change my best, and I'm gonna hopefully try and find some winners here the next yeah. four weeks. These are just fun picks to uh, to kind of go over, and then once uh, once the weekend happens, we can uh, make fun of our picks in the next podcast. It's pretty much what we're doing this for. So, yeah, exactly. I can brag because I'm in first place. I can throw a little shade at you because you're in last place, and then you know we can you know just kind of squabble about it and everything. So. Hey, they said it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So, right. season's not over yet. I'm coming. All right. So, since you're looking for a strong finish, well, I'll just – yeah, I'll let you go. Go, Alex. What's your uh, – around the rest of the Big Ten, give me your picks uh, coming up. All this right. Week. Here is my board of straight winners. I got Ohio State 49, Indiana 34. That's going to be a fun one. I think that that's a game that at halftime could easily be a 17-14 game. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Ohio State kind of does what they do and pull away at the end. But I'm, I'm excited to watch that. And then Nebraska, 28, Illinois, 17. Wisconsin, 35, Northwestern, 28. Iowa, 34, Penn State, 21. And then just based upon just, you know, I'm going Rutgers, 28, Michigan, 24. Just based upon Michigan just you know, didn't show a whole lot of life last week against Wisconsin. It, they got down early and just kind of, you know, just like I said, didn't have a whole lot of life and belief there. Not a lot of toughness, and it's it's just been that kind of year. And and, and so I, 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 Rutgers, like I said, hey, Rutgers has nothing to lose. You know, Shiano's there; he's trying to turn around the program. And and I, like I said, I need to try and scrape, scrape and claw and, and pick a couple of wins here. So I'm going to go Rutgers with the upset over Michigan, um, and then Michigan, Maryland, we already covered. So yeah, yeah, scrap that one from the list. Yeah, so you're going with the fighting Shiano's over Harbaugh's career. I am. I am. Got, that seat, that seat might be getting a little bit warm if it's not already in Michigan. Say you got, you got, you're gonna have Harbaugh on life support after that game. <laughs> hey, I think, I think Big Blue Nation's already got him, <laughs> already got him uh, breathing pretty heavy over there. <laughs> um, yeah, he's definitely, uh, 
I think he's in the last year of his contract. He didn't sign an extension before the season. So, uh, yeah, maybe a, maybe a bad move there. But Right. Yeah. And it's one of those things they keep, they keep saying, too, like, yep, you know, we, we want to extend him. We want to extend him. We want to extend him. And then, of course, you know, every single week that drags out, especially with, as, the lin, as the losses pile up, I mean – you know, the extension, the, the extension, cog, or extension talks kind of get, you know, you know, they get quieter and quieter. So it'll I think be an interesting situation to watch. Not to go off on a tangent here, but I think that will be interesting to, to follow just because, uh, you know, it's Michigan out and I know it's COVID and, and a lot of teams, a lot of programs, a lot of universities are losing money. Uh, so it'd be kind of interesting to see if, you know, I mean, obviously it's the last year of his contract. So, I mean, he won't have much of a buyout, you know, so. Right. But, but you think about it, you know, South Carolina, they, they fired Will Muschamp uh, earlier this week, and they're, they're eating $13.5 million in his buyout just to get rid of him and move on and, and uh, try to find a coach that can win there. So it's kind of crazy how to see how these programs and universities are going to handle, you know, head coaching changes, whether the – I'm sure most of them will probably wait, even if they have bad years, or they'll, they'll, ch- they'll chalk this year up to, you know, a throwaway year just because it's COVID and – everything was right awesome. people are opting out and this yeah. and that but i think it's just kind of you know uh, kind of interesting to kind of see most of the teams is going to take that approach and then you got teams like south carolina's like yeah screw it you know we're going to get rid of most champ and, and eat 13.5 million dollars and find a new coach for this team so uh definitely uh definitely wild times in college football man that's what makes it fun to cover Right, and then they just came out with, I think it was even yesterday, they just came out with that. The recruiting dead period got extended through yeah. April April 15th, which makes it really interesting for teams that are deciding to move on from their coaches because that basically means that any recruit <laughs> that, that the new coach is trying to get, you know, I'm not even sure if they're allowed to have, I don't think they are allowed to have, you know, recruits on campus yet. So you're basically before signing day, if it's a 2021 guy, you're trying to get him to commit to you without ever stepping foot on the campus, without ever meeting him, you know, in person. And, and there's obviously been a lot of recruits that have probably already done that, but, but you know, especially when it's a when it's a new coach who's trying to get something going at a new program, I feel like it's going to be all the more critical to try to establish that relationship. And certainly, the extending the dead period, you know, won't won't do him any favors. So that will be interesting to see how that plays into uh, you know coaching changes as well. Oh yeah, definitely. When you uh, when you talk about it, you know teams that don't make coaching changes they're on the same boat but when teams that do make coaching changes you you bring up a good point you're kind of behind the eight ball there because you don't have a previous relationship you have to do all this and you know virtual reality you know and, and zoom calls and virtual visits and things like that so uh definitely definitely will make it interesting especially in a situation like south carolina so right you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a couple of kids who who probably commit to a school having never even met the coach face to face, having never, like yeah. you said, stepped foot on the campus, and well, you know, it's couple, part of the unfortunate times we're in. Yeah, it's not. It's not just going to be a couple. It's going to be a lot of kids. Give me a lot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, because like you said, it got extended to April. So, uh, you know, you, you think about that. I mean, it got extended to April. So that it's been like it's going to be over thirteen months since. Uh, you know, a, a kid could st- now kids can step on campus on their own if they want to. But in terms of just having stepping on campus and having one-on-one contact and with the players and the coaches, they can't do that right now. Right, um, they can't go visit. I mean, yeah, and the coaches, coaches evaluating kids in person at their games or, or visiting their visiting their homes, visiting their families. They can't do that. So it's been 13 months since they've been able to do that. So uh, yeah. definitely uh, weird times in recruiting and, and college football recruiting. That's for sure. Yeah, and it, it's important to note too that that date of April fifteenth 
is after both signing days, right? After the, the early and late signing days. So like yeah. you said, and of course, may they, may they, you know, might there be some exceptions being made? I mean, sure, you could obviously say that, but like those are traditionally the, the two signing days have already happened by, but well, well happened by April, you know, within a few yeah. months earlier yeah. by that means. So there's going to be a lot of kids, like you said, who just haven't even, haven't even stepped foot on campus or have tried to create relationships via, via, uh, Zoom and technology, and is, is the school really ready in a year like this to just kind of pull the plug on a coach and have to try to make that happen? I don't know, but yeah. we'll see. Hey, South Carolina is, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, South, South Carolina is, and they're paying $13.5 million to do it, so <laughs> you figure yeah. in a year where there's a lot of revenues being lost, right. you know, you, you maybe, I don't know, maybe said you, you maybe wouldn't pay $13 million to find a new head coach, but hey, you know, <laughs> teach his own, I guess. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you mentioned it, a- April 15th, obviously, uh, the, the early signing period is coming up in less than a month. And then you have the, uh, the, the traditional February signing period, which is the first Wednesday in February. So, yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're going to have, you know, uh, college or high school kids making decisions on, you know, programs they've never visited in person or, or things like that. Uh, you, you see a handful of kids, the kids that can, uh, they, they try to make the effort to take – visits on their own, you know, and, and really that just kind of depends on location and things like that. And if they had the funds to do that, to take right. visits, obviously when you're on campus, you can't have any interaction with coaches or anything like that. So it's kind of more your own visit on your own personal tour. So, yeah, it's. And to, uh, and, and even sorry to cut you off there, but even yeah. one thing that we were, one thing me and Sean, me and you were discussing even before the podcast started was, um, just roster management going into next year. You know, yeah. the, the, even the sizes of in itself of a recruiting class are probably going to be lower this year just because there's going to be guys coming back and we don't really know yet what the NCAA is going to do with, with, with the extra scholarships and how's that going to play out. So you're going to see a lot of classes be smaller to begin with. And now all of a sudden, if you, you know, South Carolina, for example, they just fired their head coach. Now this, whoever they hire as a new head coach is going to have to basically try to evaluate the roster you know, based upon the few year for you games they played this year, based upon maybe some last year's film and what he kind of sees, but he, you know, and then he has to come in and try to start building a new roster you know, from the ground up, basically right. having none, no hands-on experience with his own team. And so um, <laughs> he doesn't, you know, he's not going to know exactly who he has, who he doesn't have, who he likes and doesn't like, and there's probably going to be transfers. And I think that even just the roster management with just, you know, players who are seniors that have basically an extra year and I'll come back next year. I think that that's another interesting piece too, is, is just kind of that roster management piece that you, you just get even less insight into, you know, when you're, when you're doing all this virtually and don't really know what you have if right. you're a new coach starting over. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a tough situation all around. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that, I mean, just in Minnesota's terms, they've got 16 commitments in the 2021 class right now. I think they'll add, they'll add another offensive lineman. I think they'll add another defensive lineman. You know, I think they might add another, another piece or two maybe. So, I mean, I can see them adding like, you know, at the max three or four, you know. I think they'll definitely add a couple more pieces. Maybe they'll add four, you know, at least among the high school ranks. And then yeah, you know, it's really going to depend on who comes back, who they want to come back, you know, and, and things like that. It's a, it's a lot, you know, because it's a free year for everybody. You know, they can all they can all decide to come back, even the seniors, even, the, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's roster management. It's going to be a <laughs> – it's going to be a lot of uh, – a lot of uh, a lot of things to consider when it comes to roster management with a free year this year for everybody and and everybody's you know what you know can come back I guess you know are are able to if they want to you know and I guess it's going to be right. 
what what we'll have to do with the coaches. And uh, you know, and even you have some guys who maybe are on the current team who maybe are you know redshirt sophomores or redshirt or redshirt juniors, I should say, right. or juniors who are basically completing another year of school. Who basically are completing this year of school, but you know maybe down the road if, if they're able to like get their degree early and obviously now they have this extra year of eligibility, maybe it's an incentive for them to say, Hey, I don't know if I'm going to play here. Um, right. Maybe it's in my best interest. Now that I've gotten my degree, I still have a couple, you know, maybe one or two years of eligibility left. Right. I'm going to, I'm just going to transfer and see if I can start, you know, go playing football somewhere now that I have my degree from the, from Minnesota. So yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, a lot of moving parts and, and I don't think, you know, I think everyone's probably just kind of scrambling trying to figure it all out. Cause there's just so much uncertainty. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't think a lot of people will have it figured out until, you know, the semester's over and, and I guess they have right. a, maybe a little bit of a clearer picture of what's going to happen. And it, and even then, it'd probably go, you know, into the summer and everything like that with everybody on scholarship and everything. So, right. Yeah, a lot to, uh, lot to uh, decipher there. We kind of went off on a tangent. Do, do you still want me to go through my picks for the Big Ten? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, we kind of did, uh, did go off a little tangent there, but it was a good discussion. So, yeah, sorry oh, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's stuff we talked about before we hit record, so it kind of kind of came back here at the end of the show and, and uh, you know, kind of went off and talked about it. It's, yeah, it's it's 2020, man. It's it's so different this year with college football and, and recruiting and, and, you know, like I said, you know, it's, certain teams are making coaching changes during this time, which is crazy, you know, but, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see how, how it all kind of plays out with everybody, you know, it's such an odd year. And uh, mm-hmm. like the NCAA giving every, giving everybody, you know, this is pretty much a free year, you know, for, for all the kids, you know, so it doesn't count toward their eligibility and everything. So. Right. Okay. I'm going to go with my picks around the rest of the big 10 this week. I think we'll probably have a lot of similarities here in, in who we pick. Although I did pick Michigan to win. So I'll just go ahead and start there. I did pick Michigan to beat Rutgers. This is going to be a close one though. I got 30, 24, the Wolverines pull it off. Uh, I think despite the win, uh, you know, uh, Harbaugh's seat will still be hot. So it doesn't really matter. Um, so moving on, Wisconsin Northwestern. I've got, uh, I got this one twenty-seven twenty-five of Razor Dimlin that goes to the Wildcats. I'm going to pick the Wildcats here. Uh, Iowa at Penn State. I have got Penn State getting off the Schneid and winning twenty-three to twenty. Pick up their first year, uh, win of the year. Maybe uh, James Franklin's seat gets a little bit cooler after that. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I don't think I don't know. I don't know if we have to worry about James Franklin. I don't think his seat is is no, getting no, too yeah. hot right now. But right. obviously, Penn, you know, with your Penn State, you, you mean winless right now, zero and four. Definitely, that's just you know, that's just yeah. shocking for Penn State. Yeah, definitely not the start they were uh, looking for. That's for sure. No preseason top ten team. I mean, yeah. <laughs> tough. Um, Illinois at Nebraska. I've got uh, Cornhuskers winning this one, thirty-one to seventeen. And uh, like you said earlier, Indiana at Ohio State, I've got this one. This one's going to be a barn burner, I think. Um, high scoring affair, but I've got Ohio State winning at 45 to 41. I think Indiana definitely hang with them all throughout. Uh, I think Ohio State will make a couple key plays there late in the fourth quarter and uh, pull out a win. So, If you uh, – and this is just to any of the listeners. If you haven't watched Indiana yet this year – this is a game you got to tune in for. Their quarterback, Michael Penix, is awesome. Um, super fun to watch. Tom Allen's a phenomenal head coach. His players love playing for him. 
Uh, Indiana's Indiana's kind of like the Gophers last year. It's a fun team. They're a fun team to watch. They actually have a lot of playmakers, and yeah. and uh, they're 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 enjoyable. So if you're gonna watch any game this year, definitely watch this one. Of course, Ohio State. You know they always got you know they got Justin Fields, and they always got a bunch of NFLers. So um, I'm really excited. I'm gonna tune in that one for sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, sounds good. Can't wait to uh, still be in the lead after this week in my uh, overall uh, Big Ten picks. And uh, we got a couple. Uh, we got a couple diverging uh, picks there, though, with Penn State, Northwestern, and uh, Michigan. Yeah. So I, you know, so there's an opportunity for me to gain some ground if those go my way. Yeah, I'm trying to throw you. I'm trying to throw you a couple lines here to get back in. <laughs> try to help. Try to make it competitive. Have me get yeah. back in it. And of course, we can't go. You know, we can't get through a whole podcast without the Alex Carlson weather update for Friday night. Purdue mm-hmm. at Minnesota. What's the weather going to be like? Meteorologist Alex Carlson, take it away. It is a 6.30 p.m. Central Time kickoff, and it will be 33 degrees and partly cloudy. So pretty balmy. Um, it's, 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 it's like we said, it's gopher weather, as we like to call it here. It's, uh, it's going to be chilly going to be uh, a little bit of a little bit of wind but not too much so it's going to be a nice balmy uh, balmy minnesota fall evening which i'm excited for and then for those that uh, do gamble uh, legally of course uh, purdue is a two and a half point favorite so take go. that into your picks if you are a gambling man legally of course I would, yeah, I, I would, forgot uh, about the gambling picks there. So I need to say weather and gambling picks from now on. Let me write that yes. down. Weather and gambling picks by Alex Carlson. All right, good deal. I'll write it down. So, yeah, I think we covered everything. We covered NBA draft, uh, beat the dead horse on the Iowa loss, covered a lot of stuff about Purdue, gave our picks. It's been a good show, man. It has. It has All been a good show. Alex, I appreciate you being on. With that being said, the Gopher Report podcast is out for this week. We'll be back next week to recap the Purdue game and uh, look ahead to more Minnesota Gopher football action. We are out. Thanks for listening.